welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by The Bridge Initiative, an FI360 project. This is the Breaking Barriers series. We are Alex and Alicia, your hosts and resident fangirls of all women who break barriers for others. Hello. Hi, Alicia. I wanted to tell you that during the Breaking Barriers series, we highlight individuals from all industries and walks of life who have blazed trails for others. Each month, we focus on a different themed topic, and the theme for this month for Breaking Barriers is Amazing Artists. Surprised you didn't ask for a drum roll there. I almost did it myself. (laughs) Actually, today we're going to talk about Ivy Benson, who I had never heard of. Me neither. And it's very disappointing. You know, this was one of those ones where, um, I don't know if, if, uh, I know that you have caught on because you and I do this together, but um, our listeners, you know, we try to focus on... We do two of these every month, mm-hmm. and we try to do some a big name, um, you know, dive a little bit deeper on somebody you have heard of but may not know the full story about. But we also try to do we try to find people that um, you know women who have been lost to his like their contributions have been lost to history. Yes, and um, Ivy was one of those really great finds of ours. Right. So tell me why we're talking about Ivy Benson. I will gladly do so. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So during the 1940s, Ivy Benson, she led an all-female band, um, one of those big bands uh, from Mm -hmm. back in the day, and the band became BBC Radio's resident dance band and headlined at the London Palladium for six months. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's it's a really big deal. She also... um, you know, she, she gave hundreds, and we'll explain why hundreds, of women and girls the opportunity to become professional musicians um, when they wouldn't typically get that chance otherwise during that time period. Right. I mean, women, there was this mindset at the time that women weren't capable of being as good as men in terms of playing musical instruments or conducting a band or being yeah. in a band. So Ivy really broke that barrier for everybody else. She did. <clears throat> yeah. So let's, uh, let's, let's get into this. Let's yeah. talk about Ivy. Yeah, she was born on November 11th, 1913, in Holbeck, Leeds, which for those of you who don't know, that's in England. Um, she was the daughter of Douglas Roland, nicknamed Digger Benson, and his wife, Mary Jane Mead. Her father was actually a musician who played many instruments, including the trombone for the Leeds Symphony Orchestra. He began to teach Ivy to play the piano when she was five. Five. Yeah. And by the age of eight, she started to play in working men's clubs. What? I don't know what that means. Okay, so I had to look this up, too. Okay. Um, so I was like, what in the world is a working men's club? That sounds really bad. Yeah. Like, so why is an eight-year-old it? playing yeah. in the working men's club? Um, okay, so the, the definition of the working men's club is um, it's basically like a private social club that was created in, like, 19th century um, to provide like recreation and education for working class men and their families. Um, They were found particularly in industrialized areas of the UK, mostly north of, in in the north of England, um, in the Midlands, in Scotland, and many parts of the South Wales Valleys, with um, small numbers of them popping up in Australia and Ireland around the time, primarily, you know, in the big city Dublin. Okay. Okay, so... They actually called her Baby Benson when she performed there. It's really cute. Yeah. And she also performed on the BBC Radio Children Hour, Children's Hour, excuse me, when she was nine. And that's the same 
Children's Hour that if you are a frequent listener, <laughs> that's the same Children's Hour that Queen Elizabeth II would give, you know, radio broadcast speeches on mm-hmm. to the other children in the uh, the Commonwealth. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, or if you are just as big of a fan of Queen Elizabeth as Alicia and I are. <laughs> yes. Um, so, anyway, uh, Ivy's father, uh, Digger, the professional musician. Digger, if you will. Yeah, Digger. Um, he had ambitions for Ivy to become a like a famous concert pianist. Um, she was just that good. But after she heard a Benny Goodman record, she was inspired and she wanted to play jazz instead, as children, you know, do. So I looked up Benny Goodman. Because right. I was like, who is that? Yeah. <laughs> he's known as the King of Swing. He played American jazz on the clarinet. He was a band leader. He was an interesting man, actually. During an era of segregation, Benny led one of the first integrated jazz groups, and his band started the careers of many prominent jazz musicians. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I would like to hear a Benny Goodman song. Let's, let, let's look that up after, yeah. after we do this podcast. Yeah. Um, so anyway, after after she decided on jazz, instead of being a concert pianist, Ivy decided to pick up the clarinet and the alto saxophone. Like, you know, just anybody can just pick those up. She must have been very good. I mean, yeah. Obviously. Um, but it's frustrating that I can't even play, like, <laughs> my kid's piano. Like, little kid's piano. <laughs> like one of those electric ones. Yeah, that has, like, six... <laughs> six keys on it and it like lights up tell you where to play next i can't even do that let me tell you a funny story so i my mom she uh wanted all of her children to play a musical instrument to try and they started us in fourth grade and she said we had to play for fourth fifth and sixth grade because that was the end of our elementary school mm-hmm. uh and so i picked the flute and i tried really hard but i cannot read music for three years, I pretended to read music. <laughs> Instead, I would have somebody write the notes. I memorized what the notes were on the flute, you know, how to, my positions and stuff like that, of my fingers on the instrument. Um, but somebody would write them on there. Uh, but sometimes, if I didn't know them, I would literally just move my fingers. Like, put the thing up to my mouth and just move my fingers. <laughs> See, I can sight read music when I'm singing. Like, I can look at a note and immediately sing it but Mm -hmm. i can't put that into another instrument that is not my voice no but even when i would sing uh for like musical theater and stuff if i could if you stood next to me and started singing i could match you um and once i heard the song once i would be fine and i could sing it from memory but i can't sight i i cannot sight read at all I tried so hard for so many years, but I, I just couldn't do it. I used to be a lot better at it when I was practicing more, but um, in any event. I, I can't imagine trying to pick up three different um, instruments before she's basically 15. Right. And, you know, just as an aside, I'm just going to pick up these other two. Like, yeah. No, no big. Yeah. That's they're, amazing. They're not even, like, the same thing. You know what I mean? The clarinet and the alto saxophone are very different from playing a piano. Absolutely. There's like the, the a tone. A wind and a... Um, yeah. Uh, a brass. The, the way you play those two are completely different. Completely. Which are both completely different from the piano. Yeah. So it's just... She's obviously a virtual. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so she decided to leave school when she was 14. Yeah. Mm. 
and took a job at the Montague Burton factory, which is a large menswear clothing factory in Leeds. She would put aside half a crown. That's money. Yeah, money. Um, from her wages each week to save up for her first saxophone. She supplemented her income by playing in a dance in dance bands in the evenings. So this is like around 1927 mm-hmm. that she's 14. Yeah. Um, and then in 1929... So it's 16. Yeah. Ivy joined a Yorkshire-based six-piece band called Edna Crowdson's Rhythm Girls. That's, That's the most British name ever. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, she toured with them until 1935. Um, and then after her tour with the Rhythm Girls ended, Ivy toured with... You know, other various bands, including uh, another British prominent British band at the time. Wow, to say that five times fast. Uh, Teddy Joyce and the Girlfriends. And it was during this time where she um, became featured as a soloist in the in the big band series. Mm-hmm. So like in the 1930s, you know, later in that decade, she decided to move to London and form her own band which she called Ivy Benson and her Rhythm Girl Band. Mm-hmm. When she was auditioning musicians for the band, she didn't just look for musical talent. She wanted the band members to be good-looking girls because that was best for business, which I know... I know why she did that. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, like it's she still said, it's, it's good for business, but yeah. it's still, you know... Frustrating, but yeah. that's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, like, she... she she was on this, this like mission, this crusade almost, to prove that girls could be just as good of musicians as boys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that kind of seems strange to you and I, who grew up during the era of you know the Spice Girls, who you know that's our version of girl power. Um, mm-hmm. You know we we grew up with Gwen Stefani, Madonna, Janet Jackson, Joan Jett, Britney. Christina Aguilera. I mean, we grew up in an era of girl power. Yes. Um, So it's weird to us, but, you know, the main orchestras in the United Kingdom at the time were filled entirely with male musicians. And so that's probably why she was so strict in terms of who she was going to let in, because she didn't want... She wanted to beat everyone's expectations. Yeah, I mean, she had something to prove. Yeah. Um, and she worked herself and her girls to be the best musicians they could be. She was apparently a taskmaster is what I understand. Yeah. Well, I mean, she knew that originally people would want to see them purely out of curiosity because they had never seen, you know, women professionally playing trombones or trumpets before. But, you know, they had to be as good as the men. Right. And, it, you know, it worked. Audiences were surprised with the high quality and standard of playing by Ivy and her band, and they eventually built up a following on the variety circuit, um, gradually becoming very popular. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, she was a, a strict taskmaster when it came to keeping her girls safe, but you know, the problem was that um, most of them were, were young, and they were away from their parents for the first time. And beautiful. And, and beautiful, and also making money, and were encouraged to be independent. Right. I mean, so, think about the first time that you were away from home. It was probably for you and I, you know, college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, making some... I mean, I I had a job in college. Did you have a job in college? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, so, <laughs> um, you know, we made money for the first time, so uh, yeah. I can relate to that. We sort of 
let loose, if you will. Yeah, a little bit. Um, so her band's first significant engagement was performing with the all-female show called Meet the Girls, which starred the English comedian Hilda Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, this was right before World War II. Then World War II struck, and all of the men went off to war, opening opportunities, opening up opportunities for female musicians. And then her band became the BBC Radio's resident dance band in 1943, which is a huge deal. It is. So let's talk about these dance bands for a minute. Um, specifically, what British dance bands are. Because yes. I was like, what, what, is, what, does, that what does that mean? <laughs> you know, I know what a band is. I know what dancing is. But, um, okay, so these, these bands had both, you know, jazz and big band influences. And they became this sort of mesh of of both and they played melodic you know good time music but also um you know sort of maintained that typical british sense of rhythm and style which came from their traditional music halls which i also had to look up um so music halls they're like british theaters that are designed chiefly so that people could consume you know food and alcohol do a little smoke in the auditorium while the entertainment took place. So, like, you know, a casual type of um, theater instead of something more traditional like a concert. So it was more like a like a dinner theater, what we think of. Right, but you could dance too, right? Yeah, you like you go to you go to this thing and there's a a stage set up with the band and in front of the stage um, there's a you know a dance floor and probably around it uh, were tables. Um, where you what you're describing uh wasn't that to be completely side noted here captain america yeah i knew you were gonna go there (laughs) look we both love captain america (laughs) we both had a conversation about captain america like the other day so i knew this was coming from you isn't that like where they're going in the beginning of the first captain america movie and then in um he has, like, a dream or something where he's yeah. in a dance hall like this. In Ultron, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. There well, you go. I'm on board now. There you got your visual now. <laughs> Any other Marvel fans, it's the dream that he has in Age of Ultron. That's what we're talking about as a dance band. <laughs> um, anyway. Back to Ivy. Back to Ivy. Many male musicians were a little bit angry that the BBC resident dance band at the time was all female. To the point... Sigh. Where the dance band director section of the Musicians Union even sent a delegation of representatives to the broadcasting house to complain about Ivy and her band's appointment. But this did not diminish her popularity and good for the BBC for not taking it away from her. Yeah. Well, in addition to, um, you know, the London Palladium, um, you know, you were talking about her popularity. So she headlined for six months there but she was also top billed at venues like the Palace Theatre Manchester and Covent Garden. You know, the yeah. Opera House um, of Covent Garden was turned into a dance hall during World War II. So think about it also that the BBC probably didn't have a lot of choices. Well, yeah. Because a lot of the men were out fighting. Yeah. But I think that it said a lot that they chose an all-female, specifically an all-female band. Mm-hmm. to be their resident dance band. Um, and during the war, Ivy's band performed in dance halls and other venues. They were always under danger, you know, as well as the rest of the patrons, of an air raid. 
And there was this policy in place. Because they had those back then. Yes. That if an air raid warning sounded, the band had to keep playing until all the patrons were safety in the shelters. So basically, like a captain of a ship that's sinking, you wait until everybody else is off. Which I thought was really interesting. Um, and super dangerous yeah. for Ivy and her band. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway. Um, also during the war, Ivy received over 300 letters per week from British servicemen stationed overseas. Mm-hmm. Well, she was top billed. She was a headlined band at yep. the London Palladium. And for six months in 1944. I mean, that's huge. And, I mean, she, in World War II... When it ended in 1945, Ivy's band were the first entertainers invited to perform at the VE Day celebrations in Berlin at the request of Field Marshal Montgomery, a senior British Army officer. That is a huge deal. Yes. Huge. Absolutely. So I I think it's really important to note that how popular she was at the time that she was getting letters from servicemen more than she could even read. Mm -hmm. But she was also getting accolades from the military to the point where they asked her to be the people that came and celebrated VE Day with them. It's huge. It's very huge. And then later that year, which was, you know, 1945, um, Ivy and her band performed for a live BBC radio broadcast from Hamburg immediately after the King's famous speech. So that's huge, too. Like, it, it just speaks to her popularity and um, the draw that she had for people and, and how important she was during the war. Yep. Her band. Yep. So the band didn't break up. They toured Europe and the Middle East with the Entertainment's National Service Association and entertained allied troops serving overseas. They headlined variety theaters. They performed at the 1948 Summer Olympics in London. Yeah, but... See, there's there was this really interesting thing that was happening... Um, during this time. So Ivy, it was very difficult for her to keep musicians in the band. Um, She had a really high turnover rate, especially for whatever reason, uh, her trombone players. Um, Yeah, this was especially the case during the war while the band was touring. And as the women in her band were, you know, young, attractive, intelligent women, they naturally caught the eyes of many of the GIs the American forces stationed in Britain during the war. Um, she actually once even commented, quote, I lost seven in one year to America. Only the other week, a girl slipped away from the stage. I thought she was going to the lavatory, but she went off with a GI. Nobody's seen her since. That, I- would, that would be terrifying as sort of like a mother hen. Yeah. I mean, that's how she thought of herself. She, yeah. She was the mother hen of all of her girls. Like, think about... One just slips off. You're like, is she safe? Mm-hmm. Was it Did her, she die? Was it her choice? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, it's fine if it's her choice. You but, know, and she wants to be where she's going, but, you know, how do I protect her if she's not here? But in addition to fear, she was all... I mean, I would personally be super frustrated. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's a... I mean, you would imagine... I, I know some musicians now, but you sign contracts. Yeah. Um, I imagine that if you're in a band, you also sign a contract. Um, So these women were essentially probably breaking their contracts and just going off to get married. Yeah. So, um, anyway, 
the in the 1950s after the war is over um after they were you know done touring um the band played summer seasons at um, a large chain of british seaside resorts called butlins holiday camps and uh, villa marina on the isle of man okay uh, in, yeah. her, in her personal life, in 1957, Ivy married a U.S. airman she met on tour, much like the women that left her band, and <laughs> the marriage dissolved a few years later when she refused to follow him back to the United States. I guess he assumed she was just going to give up everything she'd built just to come home and play wife to him, and that yeah, was no. not going to work for her. No. Um, so the band, band, rather, ended up playing for overseas-based servicemen until... Uh, the 1970s, even playing in Vietnam during the war. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, she led the band until the 1980s, and Ivy had this kind of knack for adapting to changing tastes, you know, musical tastes of the time. And she actually would add some pop tunes, um, you know, some, some popular music to the band's repertoire um, starting in the 1960s. Right. So how do you say popular across decades as you you keep evolving right and that's what she ended up doing but she led the band into the 1980s um as dance halls and variety theaters declined the band played mostly private functions toward the end of ivy's career before it disbanded in 1982 after a final performance at the savoy hotel Mm -hmm. they did a very brief reformation in 1983 to perform on a British TV show in honor of celebrating Ivy's 70th birthday. Yeah. Um, so in over the 30 years that Ivy ran her band, it's it's estimated that she employed over 300 women and girls. Um, and even there was once a rumor that she used a man in drag when one of her girls was ill. Um, and it was she basically said to him, like, if you can fit into a dress, get on the stage. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. She seemed like a straight shooter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, Ivy's legacy. Yeah, let's do that. So uh, after the band disbanded, Ivy retired to the seaside resort of, uh, please forgive me, Clacton-on-Sea mm-hmm. in Essex and would occasionally entertain local vacationers on the electrical organ. Um, she earned her damehood three months before she passed away. Um, she passed away in on May 6th, 1993, at the age of 79, after suffering a heart attack in her home. So, you know, I, Ivy led an all-female band in a really difficult time period, and her career spanned over 40 years. She had a, a long career, um, and I think that it's really important that we recognize who Ivy is. We kind of, um, you know, do our little part to mm-hmm. rescue her name. Shine some from light history. on her. Yeah, shine some light on some of the barriers that she's broken. Um, you know, they were the original girl power, her and her band. Mm-hmm. Um, they dressed up, you know, beautifully for their performances, but they played with, you know, the, the gusto and the, the um, expertise of men. And, you know, she confounded the critics in the band business who said that her girls, um, and I quote, couldn't sound as good as a man's band. And then she outlasted most of them. Right. And think about um, the importance of seeing someone like yourself 
doing something that you wish you could do. I mean, we talk a lot about representation. Yeah. So think about all the little girls mm-hmm. who were children watching this D- BBC dance band, listening to them on the radio, watching the VE Day celebrations, and that's there's the dance band full of women, yep. beautiful women who are skilled and talented, wearing these beautiful outfits. If you want to be a musician, that's the moment you decide. Yeah. That's you know? the moment you look at the TV or you, you know, you, you hear them on the radio and you say, I want to do that. I want to be like her. Yeah. So, I, I just think that it's really cool. Like, she, she I, I'm, I'm glad that we found her and that we could, um, you know, shine a little bit of a light on her. Um, you know, we said this at the, at the beginning that, you know, she gave hundreds of girls and women the opportunity be, to become professional musicians mm-hmm. um, because of, you know, she kept having this high turnover rate. But she kept giving more women a chance to mm-hmm. be professional musicians. So she probably started careers of, you know, hundreds of women. Uh-huh. And she, they also wore these glamorous stage outfits. And she didn't deny the feminine charge, but fought to be equal alongside her male counterpoints in terms of skill. And she won. Yep. She helped many working class girls earn their own money and inspired them to gain their own independence through their own skill sets, which is huge. It's a huge uh, mind change, and you know, it's a it's a different culture than they mm-hmm. were used to. Yeah. Um, so I think that um, you know she probably helped spurn the uh, the movement of female musicians, especially in the UK. Yeah, I think that she definitely um, began a movement. She definitely inspired hundreds, if not thousands, of girls mm-hmm. to meet musicians. So let's toast to Ivy Benson. Yes. To Ivy, thank you for um, your feistiness and your persistence and um, your prodigy level of playing that you um, had the... Um, gusto to offer women uh, a chance at a time when they wouldn't otherwise be. Yes. Thank you, Ivy. To Ivy. That was horrible. Let's try again. Okay, that's better. (laughs) Alright, so thank you for spending your time with us. Again, this is Breaking Barriers and a Little Louder Now podcast produced by The Bridge Initiative. Thank you, Alex, for this great conversation. Always. Thank you, listener for taking some time with me today to talk about the amazing artist Ivy Benson. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring magnificent women who broke barriers. If you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing, if you have questions, topic ideas, or if you'd like to join the Bridge Initiative community, you can visit fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. Email us at bridge at fi360.com. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at fi360bridge. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we want you all to get a little louder now.